0: Welcome to Film Broad see? a podcast for women who want to learn how to write and produce a film they love. If you're a newbie writer or filmmaker or an actress who's tired of auditions for one-dimensional roles, if you're overseeing yet another badly written script from a mediocre white man and you want to do something about it, you're in the right place. Get inspired by the pioneering women of the golden age of Hollywood through to today's changemakers and disruptors with practical how tos to finally write and produce your damn script already. I'm your host, Emily Grace. Welcome to the show. It's episode two, S1E2, baby. Welcome back. In episode one, I talked about why I'm so passionate that every actress create your own short film. They'll get you a tangible result in less time, for less money, you'll get your work out there faster, where it can actually make an impact, and short projects lead to big opportunities. The theme of this episode is your why. Why do you want to create your own project? What's driving you? What do you want to say or explore or be known for? When you write and produce your own project, it's not just about your creative expression or the people who might hire you for other work. It's about your audience, the people who feel seen and heard through your story, the people who see themselves represented on screen or feel inspired, fired up, moved, or start to see things in a new way. That is the power of film. So why do you want to make this project? I'm going to share my why a little bit later, but first, let's talk about the second half of the inspiration for my company, Pickford West Society. We're talking about Mae West. Born in Brooklyn in 1893, Mae West was a force in the entertainment industry. Like Mary Pickford from episode one, her legacy is still around today. But Mae West was like the polar opposite of Mary Pickford where Mary was famous for playing young girls to the point that audiences rejected her in talkies playing adult women, Mae West boldly embodied female sexuality without any shame. It was her mission to disrupt the status quo, particularly the sexism and the prudishness attached to what it meant to be a woman in that era. She was fiercely independent, outspoken, bold body and risque, not to mention her enormous talent as a writer and performer. She got her start in vaudeville when she was seven years old, so the story goes she had a song to sing on stage and she had the stage manager promised that he would light her with a spotlight when that song came up in the show. When the song came up, there was no spotlight. So Mae West stood there stomping her feet, yelling, where's my spotlight? Until the stage manager took the spotlight off of another performer to put it onto Mae West, and then she went on with the show. It's interesting that she and Mary Pickford were pretty much treading the boards at the same time, where Mary Pickford was in theater, Mae West was in vaudeville, but they probably never crossed paths on the theater circuit, and they definitely did not have very much in common. Mae West struggled to break out of vaudeville, so she did exactly what I talk about on this podcast. She took control of her own success by writing her own project. It was a play that she starred in and titled Sex. This was in 1926 or 1927, was very taboo at the time when it debuted on Broadway. Now, it was a revised version of a play that she had purchased about a hooker with a heart of gold story, but in her version, the hooker was the hero who didn't need to find redemption, which was a very popular story trope at the time, right? The bad woman had to be redeemed in the end. Mae West said, no, I don't, I don't think she needs to be redeemed. Now, the guy she bought the rights from ended up suing her because he so disapproved of her version of the play. But the suit was thrown out because she bought the rights fair and square. That's why legal protections are so important when it comes to making your own film. I have an entire module about it inside the Make Shit Happen Club. Make sure your contracts are in place even when you're collaborating with friends it's so easy to get into a creative project when everything feels good, but you've got to lay out your agreements ahead of time so that you're never at risk of having your project taken away from you because you don't have the right legal protections in place. Take a page out of May West's book. Do things legally to make sure you actually own your project. I'll talk about how to legally protect your work in a future episode, but for right now, let's keep talking about May West. So the subject matter of the play, Sex, was so scandalous for the times. It was panned by critics and, of course, loved by audiences, right? Something that we see that happens today. Now, here is a direct quote from Mae West after a backstage performance. I believe this was a different play than Sex, but I'm so excited to share this quote with you. It's so on brand. Okay. She says people want dirt and play, so I give them dirt. See? I shit you not the actual quote she says. See? At the end, of course, I have to read it in the Mae West accent. Um, This was published uh, like an article about Mae West that I found from 1928 or so. Uh, But I was so excited to come across this quote. I was just like jumping up and down with giddy excitement because it's so on brand for film broad. See? All right. I'm going to read you the full quote. Here we go. People want dirt in plays, so I give them dirt. See? They can be dull at home, but in the theater, they want excitement. They want to feel, not think. Know what I mean? Ah, just love it. We could have called it film broad. Know what I mean? And you can't not do the accent when you're reading a Mae West quote. It's not possible. All right, so back to the play of Sex. When it debuted, the New York City Vice Squad rounded up the cast and arrested them, including Mae West, who was charged with obscenity and corrupting the morals of youth, and she ended up spending 10 days in jail. At this time, there were a lot of religious organizations that were really, like, pearl-clutching and very uptight about what they were seeing in the movies as corrupting young people and This is what led to the Hayes Code, which brought a lot of censorship to Hollywood, which I will talk about in a later episode. Um, But the temperature of the time was religious. People were very up in arms about putting something like sex on a Broadway theater. So she spent 10 days in jail. And of course, this did not tank her career. It's actually the thing that launched her career the scandal was such great publicity that Mae West was able to leverage that to really launch her career to a much higher level. It's kind of like the same effect of a mid-aught sex tape. The only difference is Mae West actually had talent. <laughs> she was also an activist for gay rights, and her next two plays, The Drag and Pleasure Man, Explored queer characters in an era when gay actors were forbidden from even having a speaking role in a Broadway play. She was incredibly progressive. She was extremely ahead of her time. And once again, she was arrested for that material, but this time she didn't serve any jail time. Her next play, Diamond Lil, is really what solidified the prototype that she would play for the rest of her life. Once again, it's something that she wrote for herself to star in, and it really capitalized on the body-frank, diamond-draped queen of the Bowery, and this would be the type of role she would go on to play for the rest of her life. Now, by this point, Mae West did have her own collection of diamonds, and she ended up selling them off in order to finance the run of the play Diamond Lil, It was a huge gamble. She didn't know if it would be a success or not, but the gamble paid off because it went on to become a smashing success. Now, Mae West was born in Brooklyn, right? She was the toast of Broadway. She was a New Yorker to her core. So she was pretty unimpressed with Hollywood, but she did agree to make her film debut at Paramount Pictures. Now, she was 39 years old. Her first film role. Was 39 years old. This was revolutionary for the time. It still would be like something of note in today's world. Not that much has changed in terms of women who are allowed to age, especially on screen. And if we remember back to Mary Pickford, she was having to pack it in by the time she hit her mid to late 30s because people were so attached to her playing little girls and she was visibly aging on screen. They rejected her playing actual adults. It's interesting how just as Mary Pickford's career, her on-screen career, was really coming to a halt and cooling down around the same time Mae West's on-screen career was just revving up. She was a trailblazer. She prided herself on her curves. She said curves were more appealing than angles, and she was a rare actress who didn't try to be as skinny as possible, right? This mentality is still so prevalent today with uh, so many women just feeling the pressure to live up to these impossible standards, the prevalence of disordered eating, especially among actresses or women who appear on camera. Now, there is a shift. We're in the midst of a shift with women of all sizes and shapes and ages, starting to appear more frequently on screen. The body positivity movement is well underway, but Mae West was unusual in that she celebrated her curves and her voluptuous body at a time when that wasn't the norm. She liked her voluptuousness and she played it up as part of her brand, right? Incredibly smart woman. Now, when negotiating one of her film contracts, She demanded to write her own scripts, and when it came to payment, she asked the studio head, Adolf Zucker, how much he made, and when he told her, she demanded a dollar more than that, and she got it. In her first starring film role, a film called She Done Him Wrong, it was based on her play Diamond Lil, but because the play had actually been banned... They had to change the name and whitewash much of the darker undertones of the play, but the film did go on to become a huge success that saved Paramount Pictures from bankruptcy at that time. She was a witty, savvy screenwriter. She was the queen of the quip, and some of her most famous lines are still quoted today. Lines like, why don't you come up sometime and see me? Now this line is often misquoted as, why don't you come up and see me sometime? But if you watch the actual footage from the film, it's, why don't you come up sometime and see me? Other quips include, when I'm good, I'm very good, but when I'm bad, I'm better. I used to be Stone White, but I drifted. (laughs) It's fun. Try it at home. Have you ever met a man that made you happy? Sure, lots of times. It's better to be looked over than overlooked. And another often misquoted, is that a gun in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? The actual line is, is that a pistol in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Which I think the alliteration of the P is quite a nice touch. She became the highest paid woman in Hollywood and the second highest paid person in the United States. She was a huge movie star in her 40s. The public could not get enough of Mae West. She knew how to write for her unique strengths. That is the beauty of learning how to write your own projects. You know what you're good at and what resonates with you better than anyone. Now, we go a lot deeper into this topic of how to write for your unique strengths inside the Make Shit Happen Club so that you can cultivate your writing style, your point of view. And tailor it to yourself as an actor. Mae West leveraged her body, campy, comedic vamp persona into a wildly successful career. She is a true original. No one but Mae West could play her roles. She worked well into her 80s, always on her own terms and true to herself. This show is sponsored by Write Your Short. If you want to write and produce a script that you love, but you don't know how to get started, go to writeyourshort.com. Don't create in a vacuum or try to figure this out all by yourself. Learn how to write a festival-worthy script you can produce or star in or direct or wear all those hats at once. With writeyourshort.com, you can get the exact next steps you need to take based on where you're at in the process. No guesswork, self-doubt, or overwhelm just a proven process to make the most powerful film possible. That's writeyourshort.com. And now, back to the show. The theme of this episode is your why, and Mae West is a primary example, right? She was passionate about pushing back against the status quo. She embodied a positive, sexually expressed woman who didn't have shame. She was someone who pushed back against censorship. She was very driven by a, a specific why. So now let me share a version of a different why from one of my Make Shit Happen Club members whose name is Autumn. Autumn is an indigenous actress, and she was getting really tired of the kind of stereotypical roles she typically gets called in for, They were one-dimensional, predictable, just like really disheartening stereotypes for indigenous characters. She was frustrated, but instead of just sitting around and complaining and hoping someone else was going to change or do something, she decided to do something about it herself. So she embarked on the journey of writing a short film that's based on a very personal experience. And she also made sure to include multiple three dimensional characters for Indigenous actors. They are an authentic representation, they are complex and compelling. Of course, one of them is a protagonist for Autumn to play, but it meant a lot to her to be able to create other acting opportunities for Indigenous actors to play some juicy roles. She wasn't seeing her personal experience reflected on screen so she's taking action to be part of making that change herself on-screen representation can be life-changing it makes you feel validated recognized like you matter autumn is a change maker she is turning a per- she's turning a personal experience into art and creating opportunities for other indigenous artists Fuck yeah, right? She is fired up and empowered by her why. Now, I told you earlier that I would share my why too. So here it is. I plumb the depths of my soul so that others know they're not alone. This is a phrase I came up with at a workshop I was doing years ago, and it really resonates with what drives me as a creator. Art is the most powerful form of connection and evolution that we have, right? A piece of art can inspire someone to think differently, to do better, to stop doing something that's toxic and harmful. It can help someone feel empathy or connection to someone they thought they had nothing in common with. It can inspire people to be more compassionate and treat one another better. Art can bring us hope, inspiration, ease, relief. And that feeling of recognition is what pushes us to change. Art, in my opinion, is a vehicle of evolution. It can be an act of resistance. It can be an act of revolution. It shines a light on humanity, right? It reflects us back to ourselves, and it can inspire people to actually make lasting, impactful change in their lives, in their society, in their politics. Because without art, what's the point, right? We're just going to go to work and pay the bills. Like, art is essential for humanity, for creative expression, and for evolution, So for me, what drives me is I plumb the depths of my soul so that others know they're not alone. I am the kind of person who wants to look at experiences, feel my feelings, and find the lesson, find the theme, find something positive that can come out of the pain of living, right? And for me, It's turning that into some kind of creative expression, whether it's a film, TV, this podcast, there's all kinds of vehicles for art, music, theater, painting, multimedia, like art is art is art. The projects that I create, of course, they start with me, but they don't end with me. They're no longer about me. They're really about you. So let me share what I'm creating for you right now. It's a short film called Pigeon. I finished the script last year using the same tools that I teach inside the Make Shit Happen Club, and this film came out of a very, very dark period in my life, During COVID, my husband and I ended up moving. We bought a house and we no longer lived in our community, right? We moved to a new town. We didn't know anyone. It felt very isolating. And of course it was COVID. So it wasn't like you want to go out to the coffee shop and meet a bunch of strangers who aren't masking and COVID spreading everywhere. So it was a very isolating, lonely time where my dog Sparky really was the main part of my social life. It was me, my husband, and our dog Sparky. And he was quite old and ended up passing away, which I had never lived with a dog growing up. It was really the first dog that was in my care. I He was a package deal that came with my husband, and I got to spend the last four years of his life with him. And it was the kind of pure love that only a dog can give. And especially at that time, it was so needed because of the isolation and loneliness of COVID. So that compounded this already, this feeling of Being alone, uh, being away from my friends and family, feeling super isolated. And then this dog that I loved so purely and so much passed away. It was really devastating. I've read articles say things like the loss of a pet can be more devastating than the loss of a parent in some ways. I um, don't quote me on that science, but it certainly was very devastating to me and kind of spun me out into a very deep depression, which went on for for months and months and months. And just as I was starting to feel, like, a light at the end of the tunnel. I was starting to move away from my depression. The, like, most devastating loss I've ever experienced happened. My aunt took her life by suicide. And it just broke me. She was very dear, very loved. She was like a second mother to me. Um, And, it you know, if you've experienced this kind of loss, it's just so... I mean, of course, losing someone that you love is so devastating and so painful. And there's just something about someone choosing to take their own life that's just so unbelievably it's a theft, right? It's a theft of a person. It's just really hard to go through. I was in a very deep hole of grief and pain and also still very isolated and alone, and it was really fucking hard. But I plumbed the depths of my soul so that others know they're not alone. And one of the things that I noticed as I was going through my own process is we as a society are so ill-equipped to deal with grief, whether it's within ourselves or when someone else is going through a devastating loss, right? There's just not a lot of tools of how to deal with it. And so many people are just uncomfortable with feelings in general that it makes you feel even more isolated and alone. And grief doesn't Just show up when it's convenient, right? Sometimes other things are going wrong in your life, and then it's compounded by this very painful experience, right? Showing up suddenly and unexpectedly. Of course, I also found myself just wanting to think about anything else except the deep pain that I was feeling, And that's exactly where my protagonist starts from, (laughs) right? That's exactly how she feels. Uh, So I took this really dark and painful experience and I've now turned it into a script that I'm really excited to share with you. So my protagonist is also reeling from the suicide of her friend, and she's trying to heal. But instead of dealing with it, she (laughs) becomes obsessed with the pigeon that drinks her pool water every morning. If she can just get rid of the pigeon, then everything will be fine, right? Like, I can recognize obsessive behavior in myself, like when I don't want to look at something because it's too scary, or it's too painful. I can get very obsessive, like, oh, if I could just find the perfect pair of leather boots, everything in my life would be fine, and I don't have to look at this thing. That's super painful. So if she can just get rid of this pigeon, it's all going to be okay, right? And yes, the pigeon is actually real. There is... Uh, a little fucker of a pigeon that lands on the mouth of my jacuzzi. Yes, I have a jacuzzi. It's nice. It's nice. <laughs> it's nice. Uh, but this pigeon shows up every day. There's like a little water stream that goes over the mouth of the jacuzzi. The pigeon lands there, drinks from it, leaves a poop, and then flies away. When my husband and I moved outside of LA, who knew? the bane of my existence was going to be the pigeon. So I've got B-roll footage of this pigeon. I will be acting opposite this pigeon in my film. Now, normally, if you're writing a short film, I would never recommend that you write in an animal because animals are really expensive to hire they have agents, they have pay rates, and it can eat up your entire budget, this pigeon will not be paid. So that's a little sneak peek about what I'm working on. I plumb the depths of my soul so others know they are not alone, and I know this film is going to resonate with anyone who has experienced the profound grief of losing someone you love, especially when it's a loss by suicide. And as I move through my crowdfunding campaign and into production, I'm going to be sharing stories from the trenches about what I'm learning, how it can help your project, and I'll keep you up to date on my film as it progresses and when you'll be able to see it. So I've shared a little bit about my why. What is your why? What's driving you to create? What impact do you want to have? What do you want to say? I can't wait to help turn your vision into a reality, to help you write and produce a film that you love, and I will see you next time. If you enjoyed the show, remember to subscribe and even better, leave a five-star review. Ready to finally write your damn script already? Go to writeyourshort.com to get started and connect with me on TikTok at Pickford West Short Film Lab. Your story matters and who better to tell it than you? Stay tuned for the next episode and I'll see you there.